Hello, and welcome to Learning for Life at Gustavus, the podcast about people teaching and learning at Gustavus Adolphus College and the myriad ways that Gustavus liberal arts education provides a lasting foundation for lives of fulfillment and purpose. I'm your host, Greg Castor, faculty member in the Department of History. The 1998 Mankato Free Press profile of my guest today began this way. Suffice it to say that when Jeff Sorensen told his parents he wanted to sell hubcaps for a living, they were less than pleased. Their feeling changed as Jeff built a thriving business selling hubcaps or wheel covers, eventually selling his business to Walmart in 2006. Jeff was already long and deep into hubcaps by the time he graduated from Gustavus in 1992 with, I'm proud to say, a major in history and a minor in political science. In the next seven years, he went from selling hubcaps in a garage to opening two wheel cover stores in Mankato and Richfield, Minnesota, to supplying hubcaps to Sam's Club nationwide. He had the proverbial last laugh at those who scoffed at his business ambition. I didn't learn all this until he and I reconnected over breakfast a few years ago. Once the podcast began, I wanted listeners to learn about it as well, and I'm delighted he could join me now to talk about his quite interesting journey, including where he's gone since selling his hubcap business. So welcome, Jeff. It's great to have you on. Thanks, Greg. It's great to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's, it's fun for me. It's a treat. It's fun. I mean, we're literally, well, not literally blocks away, but you're, we're not that far. You're in South Minneapolis. I'm here kind of in downtown um, on a kind of a snowy, wintry, mixed day. But um, <laughs> great, to, great to connect this way. And I know we're going to have lunch later this week, so it'll be fun to connect in person again. Um, how are you doing amid the pandemic? How has that been treating you? Because <laughs> when you and I last saw each other, it was, what, I think summer of 2019, pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. What's it been like for you? Well, believe it or not, the pandemic maybe helped me to some degree. So, How so? Um, I'm, I'm currently um, in telecommunications as a career. And once businesses started sending everybody home, they had to upgrade their technology in order to accommodate that. So, so all of a sudden there was this demand for telecommunications <laughs> products that it wasn't there before the pandemic. So that is also interesting to me. These um, kind of, well, you know, you hesitate to use the word silver lining in this context, but a lot of us have used it. That's, that's one of them. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and I know we're going to talk more about that, that business in, in, a, in a bit. We'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounded like before we started recording, you're okay. Your family's okay, which is good. Um, yeah. Why don't we start with family? Tell us a little bit. I mean, I know kind of a little bit about your background, but not as much as, as I'd like. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up. Yeah, okay. I grew up in this little town of Blooming Prairie, Minnesota. So that's about an hour and a half south of the Twin Cities, between Austin, Owatonna, and just west of Rochester. And town of 2,000 people, I graduated with 80 people in my high school class. Wow, really small, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but at least we had some bigger towns kind of around us, so uh, that helped. Oh yeah, like, well, like Rochester, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, um, were you, you, weren't, you didn't grow up on a farm, did you? Nope, I was a city kid. City kid, city kid. I like that. Yeah, a city kid in two thousand. What um, what were your were your parents? Uh, what were they doing? My father was a teacher in Blooming Prairie. Oh, um, okay. He told he taught seventh grade English when I was there, and later on, also taught tenth grade history. Oh, and he oh, started cool. that started that after I was graduated, and my mother okay. was an RN in Owatonna nurse oh wow oh that's interesting you probably i'm sure you told me that about your dad i probably met them at your your graduation i imagine um Mm -hmm. but that's neat so he taught some history too so were you were you already i mean you became a history major hooray Uh, but were you already interested in that as as a as a as a high school kid or or even younger to a degree nothing even close to like my father for instance i mean he was he still has a huge um, affinity for World War II and especially in mm. in Europe. I mean, and studies that all the time. I, so I wasn't into it like he was. 
and I'm not, yeah. I, I wasn't into it like I am now either. So, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. The, um, it's funny too, how for so many people, history, it, they, people focus, get, get interested in World War II. I was interested in that as a kid because my dad was a vet. I mean, those are some, I guess when I think about it, some of my first quote unquote history books were these books. He had these kind of picture books. That he might, one, one of them, I think, was just something World War II vets could get. I remember it well. I don't know where it is now, but looking at that mm -hmm. as a kid over and over again. Um, let's hope we're not headed toward World War III here in, in uh, right. Russia and Ukraine. But so, um, <clears throat> um, when you when you were thinking about college, was it? I mean, was Gustavus it, or were you thinking about other schools? Had your parents gone to Gustavus? Um, my mother attended Gustavus, and oh, I had wow. an uncle who attended, and then my oh sister my was there also. So my older sister. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so so really, it was a family. What 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 did your mom? Was your mom a nursing major? Do you know, is that what she did? I wonder. I believe so, yeah. Um, and so an uncle, what, but not your dad. Where did he go to school? My dad uh, went to Mankato State. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. But so Gustavus is in your blood, as yep. it is for so many people in your DNA. What is that why you chose Gustavus? I mean, was it sort of a default? You know, my, my uncle went, my mom went, my sister, I'm going, or what's there, were there other reasons? Well, I, I think that led me to look at Gustavus. I don't think that's why ultimately went to school there. I also looked at Luther College. I looked at Mankato State and I looked oh, okay. at a couple other colleges as well. But you know, well, I, I did have a history. Yeah, yeah I, I did have a history, you know, with Gustavus, with my family and and you know, senior year I spent some senior year of high school, I did spend some time on campus with some of my sister's friends basically kind of showing me around okay. and it, I just, I love the campus and yeah, I, I would have gone there anyway, regardless if even, any of my even family without that blood, blood connection. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of people talk about that, about how, um, I've talked to a lot of, uh, alums who say, say the same thing. Like it's coming to the campus. They remember like coming for the first visit even and, what an impact that that had on them. So yeah. I kind of joke if we could just get every college age person or any age person who wants to go to college come to visit Gustavus, we no no other school would have people going there. But That's right. <laughs> we can't do that, I guess. Um, so so you came. Uh, I don't know if I met you. I don't remember if I met you when you were first. We would say first year student now, but at some point you we became teacher student as you well, um, chose. Just go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I attended your very first class you ever taught there. So. Oh, that could be. Maybe you, maybe you, oh, maybe when you were, uh, let's think about that. Maybe when you were visiting or something, could that be? When you were visiting your sister, that could, because we started in 86. Yeah. Fall um, of 86. Yeah. Yep. So. And, yeah. And I graduated from high school in 86. So. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I yeah, that, that, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to, I'm, I'm exercising my brain trying to remember, <laughs> I mean, I have vivid memories of all good memories of you as a student in the then God awful social science building where history was right. located that have you, I don't know if you've been back to campus. Have you seen that building? Have you been back to see what they've done to that building? Yeah. It's, it's changed beautiful. a little bit since 1986. Oh my it? gosh. Yeah. No <laughs> kidding. It's amazing. It's so gorgeous. It's unreal. Um, yeah. So that's where we, that's how we met. Yeah. So did you, I mean, what, what, what drew you to the history major? I don't recall if you'd like, I'm coming, I want to be a history major or if it was something that just kind of happened over well, time, but I'm just curious. Quite if you honestly, I, you know, when I went to college, I didn't completely know what I wanted to major in but once i got there i Good. thought well you know maybe biology would be you know maybe that's where i should go so so i i started sort of down that path and um i took your history class and you know it was going to be one of those generals originally when i took it and once once we got going in that class i'm like this is so fascinating just beyond <laughs> fascinating and i I was so fascinated by what I was learning in your class that that's when I decided I'm going to be a history major going forward. 
Well, and I, I took more classes fan. with you after that. And, you know, because, I mean, you're a fantastic teacher, oh. professor. And, and listeners should know I didn't, I'm not paying Jeff to say any of this. Thank you. <laughs> you're, 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 I don't even have hubcaps from you. You're, ma you're making my day here. I mean, gosh, that's like, that's, yeah. that's kind of you. Um, you oh, were very serious. Very, very you were one of those, well, you were one of those engaged students that every teacher wants. Um, thank yeah. God. Uh, yeah. And so, well, thank you. And so um, the rest is history. Ha, ha, ha. So you, yeah, and then you minored in poli sci. Um, yeah. Now, I, what I'm trying to remember is whether you took any, I might have even been your advisor. I can't remember. But anyway, you did you take any, I was, okay. Did you take any um, business courses or econ courses along the way too? I don't recall taking any of those. I might've, but I, I don't recall. Um, I don't either. I'm asking because um, even Warren Beck, I mean, the benefactor of our, our wonderful Beck Hall, who was a history major before our time, Warren, I don't think took any such courses either. I don't think Jim yeah. Hearn, another another history major before our time. These are, I'm thinking about entrepreneurs, people who became business people, quite successful yeah. business people who um, who didn't, for whatever reasons, didn't take a business course. And, you know, and my point is in, in, in saying this is just to remind listeners, especially students and current and prospective students, you don't have to have it all figured out. Um, you don't know where life is going to take you. Um, I don't know that you thought, you know, as a first year student, I want to start a hubcap business. I know you're already interested in hubcaps. We'll get into that. But anyway, you know, you, you know, Looking at you uh, as a history major, people say, what are you going to do with a history major? Well, you know, you've done well, <laughs> quite well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, find, I find that, yeah, thank you. I find that um, an important lesson because so many students still obsess about, maybe more so even than in your day, they obsess about the major as though the decision to major in X or Y or Z is going to determine the rest of their life, um, which is just yeah. not not true. So do you have any other, do you have memories, good, bad, ugly, funny of, of your, your, your years at Gustavus? I mean, were you involved oh, in, in co-curricular stuff or? I have all of the above, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> give, um, give us a your, few, share a few, Jeff. <laughs> well, I mean, your, your classes are a, a, some of the best memories, honestly. And, um, well, and for one thing, you know, we we're just talking about, you know, taking business classes you know, we studied business in history. We studied the history of business. Yes. And so it really That's was true. a business class, business oriented in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, so your classes and, and I have to say that the trip that we took to Europe was by far the best memory. Probably Remember that? That was so we much fun. I certainly got Are you kidding me? That was awesome. Yeah. That was the um, what was that called? The Gustavus semester abroad, right? I think. Is yes. Uh-huh. And that's where actually, yeah, you would have done some business. That's where, um, for listeners, I can't remember what that nineteen eighty eight maybe or, or anyway nineteen eighty nine fall eighty nine okay because we were yeah, there 89. when the Berlin Wall was knocked down and you know yeah, that happened that was while we were over there. Yeah, right. That was so we were Kate and I were in uh, my wife Kate Winstein and I also in the history department. Then we were in. London and Leeds, right? And then mm -hmm. all over the place. And where'd you go? You went to Vexha, Sweden, I think, with Roger McKnight yes. of Scandinavian yeah. Studies. And then this was maybe, I don't remember what Bruce Johnson in the Econ yes. Management Department, but he was based in Brussels, if I Is Brussels. that correct? Is that your memory? Too? Yeah. That yeah. was an awesome program. Kate and I loved that. You were part of that group. Carrie Clark, I'm still in touch with yes. her from the group. <laughs> um, it was so cool. And I don't know, Gustavus did it just for maybe a couple of years. We were the first, Kate and I and Roger McKnight and Bruce. Yeah. And this was pre-cell phone, remember? None of us had cell phones, mobile <laughs> phones. There was no Gustavus credit card. Remember, we had to dispense cash to all of you as you went on to your next <laughs> trip. <laughs> it was like kind of crazy. But yes, fond memories. That was a blast. And this is, this, is an, uh, this is an example of my own entrepreneurship. A colleague, a senior colleague in our department kind of said to Kate and me, we were still felt new to Gustavus, you know, while... Why aren't you? I heard from another colleague in another department. You know, why aren't your junior people doing study abroad? And I sort of said, "Well, we're U.S. historians, you know, for one thing." And I'd never been to England, but I got so kind of ticked off at that comment. I went home to our home then in St. Peter, and on an Apple II C, hammered out 
I made it up. I mean, I'd never been to England. I just hammered out the course, right? Just imagining, well, there would be this, there would be that. And thank God there was these, you know, heritage sites about the Industrial Revolution, which we organized yes. our part of it. That was so funny. Anyway, yeah, that was a great time. I agree. That was a lot of fun. Did you go abroad again after that or not while you were at Gustavus? Not, no, not while I was at Gustavus. Not while you were at Gustavus. Okay. No, that was my senior year when we did that. Oh, so. that's right. That would have been your senior year. Yeah. What, yeah. um... What else? Um, let's see. What else? So, what other? Were you, were you on like any teams or any involved in any activities? I don't remember. Let's see. Like baseball played, or any sport. I played intramural uh, basketball for okay. a while. Yeah. Um, I didn't bring home very many trophies with that, but <laughs> but I, I did it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because that's another thing about Gustavus then and now. With I mean, all these different opportunities for intramural, not just um, you know the college, the, whatever the official college sports mm -hmm. teams, but lots of intramural activities. Probably, I don't know, if frisbee was around then, but like ultimate frisbee, yeah. I think is, is is still going strong. Um, mm -hmm. Did you were you in were you in music at all? Any musical group? I know you love music now, but were you involved in uh, the um, band or orchestra? I wasn't in the band or orchestra, but I did take guitar lessons, um, you know, jazz guitar and classical guitar. Oh, and wow. Was that, studying that, yeah. Was that with uh, Professor Orpin, Rick Orpin, yes. the jazz guitar? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Lucky you. Um, yeah. now, now retired emeritus. I mean, one of the, he's like, I mean, he could have been a, he could have had a career as a jazz guitarist. He's oh my like, gosh. He was fantastic. Just, yeah. you look at him and it's like, you know, you just want to put your guitar away and like, it's depressing. It's not fair. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I haven't talked to, I should try to interview him too for the podcast now. Oh, have him play. Yeah. Amazing. That's cool. So mm -hmm. you did graduate. I might have, do I have your, did you graduate in 92? That's what I said in my intro. Is that incorrect? Did you graduate before then? You graduated 1990. in 1990. Okay. Yeah. I, got, I went, see, I didn't double check. I relied on the newspaper. Yeah. Oh, well, so. Oh yeah. The paper got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. It said 1992. I thought that was wrong. See, um, so you graduate and, um, I mean, you're, tell us about that I mean that that period in your life, your parents are are they sort of expecting you to go the kind of traditional route? I mean, you you go into business or teaching or something. Um, yes, very much so. Ahead. And and you know, there was a lot of pressure to do that uh, just in general on my generation. So, um, you know, I I always knew I was an entrepreneur. I mean, knew that back in you know, grade school almost that sure. I was an entrepreneur and, and, you know, college had, um, had a lot of relevance to my life as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, other people, you know, cohorts of mine and whatnot, um, had the pressure that you go to college just to end up at IBM corporate or, you know, some, right. just some, white collar corporate job when you're done. I got that right. same pressure, but what's interesting is when we went on that, um, when we were abroad, it was kind of during that time when there were several companies showing up on campus and doing those job fairs and whatnot. I, I, sure. I missed all that it, it, <laughs> and I didn't care. I didn't care. But, it, but when we got back, all my roommates were talking about, Oh, they got interviews at all these places. And, and I just simply really didn't care. But my parents did put the pressure on me to start putting my resume together and, you know, start start applying places and get the job, get married right away, you know, the whole thing. The uh, whole bit. The country club and, you know, oh, geez, holiday, you know, all that stuff. And I, I wanted to start my business. And try that the for a the, hub, the hubcap, hub, the hubcap, hubcap business. business, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and I also wanted to try the music thing too. So I was a songwriter mm. also. And you know, just those two things. I said, give me, you know, just a few years to try it. If if it doesn't work, great. Then I tried it and then I can, you know, get on this other path. And yeah, I <laughs> I got some pushback, that's for sure. <laughs> and and it wasn't only from my parents, it was from like 
parents of friends of mine from high school and college too. Mm -hmm. They were like, what, mm -hmm. what are you doing? I mean, that's not the path you should take. And I just took my own path anyway. Well, would you, so when did, you got a gig at some point working for uh Shopco, right? And, and yes. kind of in, you're going to go, was that, was that this period? Was that after, I mean, I know it was after you graduated, that, but. Yeah, that was maybe four months after, well, it was November of, 1990. So, oh, so you know, the right same graduated. year we graduated. So I, yeah. I made the, I made the brilliant decision to move in with my parents after we graduated <laughs> you know, to start my, my, my business and just yeah, a brilliant, one, half, one happy family. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, I started getting kind of ramping up my business and wanted to, you know, start playing music and whatever. And it lasted about two weeks. My mom was waking me up every morning at 7 a.m. Just, well, have you sent your resume out to all these places? And, and, and finally, you know, I, I sort of negotiated with them. So I went to Austin, Minnesota, close by, and tried to get a part-time job at Shopco, which is a you know, now defunct, I believe, but it's like a target retailer. So. And right. <clears throat> so I applied for a part-time job and they thought I was overqualified and should try to get into management. So I did kind of reluctantly, to be honest with you, but I thought, well, okay, I'll try this. And I was hired and they moved me to Mason City, Iowa to be a manager at the Shaco store down there. So. And you felt what, like? Like, <laughs> I don't want to do this once you were doing it. I'm sure you could be good at it, but yeah. how long were you doing it? Not long, I guess. Not very long. Uh, three months, possibly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And then is that is it after that that you say, I'm out of here? I mean, literally, is that when you went to California? Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. I said, I can't, I can't take this. And, and so I you know, put in my two week notice and, and got my stuff and moved to LA. And what, yeah. what, to, what, why LA? Why'd you go out there? Was it the music business, the entertainment well, part? Or? I did have an opportunity in LA. A, a good friend of mine from high school was a quadriplegic. He okay. broke his neck in high school football. Mm, oh gosh. And there was some sort of a rehabilitation center in Los Angeles that was unique to that. Um, you know, it was the only place in the country like that. And he finally, you know, got off the waiting list and got an opportunity to move out there. So, so I quit my job and moved out to LA and moved in with him and sort of took care of him. But I, I didn't have to do any of the medical things with him. I just helped him get his mail and, Sure. Roll them around a little bit. So I and did have your, an opportunity in L.A. I'm assuming your parents weren't exactly happy about any of this. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm trying to state it in the nice. Yeah. How were you, what, what were you doing living off? I mean, living off what? I mean, living frugally, I imagine, as you as young people can do. But but well, just sort of the money you'd made or go ahead. Yeah. Well, I lived with my friend, first of all. So he was paying for the apartment. And so I, I lived there with him, but then he was also paying me to help him too. So okay. it wasn't a ton of money, but it sure. was, it was okay. You weren't starving. Yeah. No. And were you literally, were you literally, I can't, I'm trying to remember if this is something you told me, uh, or it's a figment of my imagination, told me at breakfast, but were you literally kind of on the beach playing your guitar at times? <laughs> I mean, Yes, yes, that is okay. that is a true statement, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> dreaming, dreaming of hubcaps. So well, I mean, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, the, yeah. Um, so I I would drive my buddy to his uh, rehabilitation sessions every morning up at Pacific Palisades. I drop him off at eight in the morning, and I had to pick him up at five. So that whole time between eight and five. You know, I, it was just literally about a quarter of a mile down the hill and I was on Santa Monica Beach. Wow. So I would just go down there while I was waiting for him, sit on the beach, play guitar and try to sort out my life too. you know, looking at the waves and 
coming in and just figure out where do I go from here? So, well, let's, I mean, I, I just love this story. It's so interesting and instructive. Um, and you're a braver person than I, I don't, I'm not sure I could have done that or would have done that anyway, <laughs> there you are, but you, you know, the, 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 your interest in hubcaps, your fascination, if that's the right word, I mean, I think it's more than an interest passion for really began when you were a little kid, right? I, I mean, tell yes. us a little bit about that. I mean, how, how and why you were attracted to hubcaps? Yeah, it's a great question, Greg. I'm not a car person at all. So it has nothing to do with automotive, anything. Just, you know, I, I've talked a little bit about the musical side of me. So with music comes art. So hubcaps were pieces of art, basically. Mm. And it was art that you could get pretty cheap because they would fall off cars you know, these hubcaps would fall off, you'd pick them up. And, and that's, that's what happened. I started building basically an art gallery. And it all started from back in 1975, I think it was. You're a little kid, you're like six years old. Or I was something. seven years old. Yes. And my mom worked at the public utilities plant in Blooming Prairie. And part of that office was the police department. And they were trading in a 1971 Ford LTD at the time, and they had an extra hubcap to this police car, and they gave it to my mom and said, gosh, why don't you take this home to your son, and, you know, a little kid, maybe he'll get a kick out of this thing. And she brought it home, and there was some sort of fascination about it, just the mm -hmm. design of the hubcap. And I wanted more of these things, so we went to... Um, a Chevrolet dealer in town and asked if they had any extra hubcaps. And they said, yeah, we've got some that are, aren't doing us any good. So that was my second and third um, <laughs> to my collection. And so, so it, it just, you know, turned into this, this thing where it became an art gallery and I had all these hubcaps hanging up in my parents' garage. Well, at some point, people in town learned that I had all these hubcaps and as they were losing hubcaps off of their cars, you know, they, <laughs> they would remember me and stop over and ask, Hey, can I buy that hubcap from you for my car? Okay. I have, I have an image now of someone, someone in your town loses a hubcap. You get it. I'm making yeah. this up, right? But you get it. It's hanging up in the garage and then you sell <laughs> back to them the hubcap face loss. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in a small town like that, it was very possible that that it's happened. Probably, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Were these things in your bedroom as well? I mean, did you have them on your wall or? Yeah, or, yeah I had them know. everywhere. They, they were. I was just fascinated with them. But again, it was the artwork of them that fascinated me. And that piece of this, I, I really want to stress because I, I thought. Um, just thinking back on you, and also from what you said at breakfast, you like like me. I mean, I love cars. That is, I love to look at them. I used to go to the auto show as a kid. I mean, I was so excited going to that auto show. Mm -hmm. It was my dad, you know, and, and, and brother and mom. We, when we got new cars, you know, just, just the, this in the 60s, and I yeah. guess late 50s and 60s. Um, I couldn't, I mean, I don't know if I could change a tire. I mean, maybe. <laughs> but so, you know, I, I think it's interesting that for you, it's not like you're a, a car guy, like, you know, you're in there with the engine and the oil, and you're, yeah. you know, no, it's, it's the art. It's the design yes. that got you. Let me um, pause here. Did you, uh, in, in your story, did you, did you take art courses at Gustavus or were you doing any kind of art before or along with the hubcaps drawing or anything aside from the uh, music? I mean, Drawing. I've, I've done my own drawing and artwork of my own, but I did not take any art classes at Gustavus. Okay. Yeah, but there's so it's the art, um, the art of the hubcap. The um, so I mean this is this is in your and I don't again I don't know if I knew knew this about you when you were um, an undergraduate. I don't know if you brought ever brought hubcaps into class <laughs> or if we or if we talked about hubcaps. But I in had them case, in my dorm room. I, did I you? This. Yeah. Wow. So were you? Um, you're, you're already, I mean, you're already selling these things, right? And by the time you're a Gustavus student, is that is that accurate? I mean. Yes, because in in the early days when like people in my town would ask for me to sell these hubcaps, I said, no, you know, this is my art collection. I'm not selling it. But at some point mm -hmm. I decided, well, you know, maybe 
I'll sell off the duplicates. I'll keep one of each design and, you know, everything else can go. So then I did start selling them as like a sixth grader. <laughs> That's and, amazing. And That's eventually amazing. it got to where I was selling them nationally as a ninth grader. Oh my God. So, <laughs> well, how did that happen? People, I mean, people just knew about your collection and contacted no, you? Or? There, was, there was a company in Altoona, Pennsylvania that, that sold hubcaps, um, sold used hubcaps, and they advertised in Motor Trend. And I just happened to see their ad in Motor Trend, and I called them and asked, <laughs> you know, would you guys ever, you know, consider, you know, buying your stock from me? as a wholesaler. And they said, yeah, that'd be great. And it was interesting. We didn't have email back then or Excel spreadsheets no. or any of that. So I, you know, write everything down by hand and mail my inventory list out to them. And then they would all of a sudden a envelope would show up in the mail with a check and a, a purchase order. And then I would ship these hubcaps out to Pennsylvania and that's amazing. And you were, yeah. say again, how old you how old were you, were you when this part started? Well, that was ninth grade, so I suppose. So high school, I guess. 14, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I didn't know that. That's amazing. So were you, were you yourself buying any at that point, or were these all still just stuff I found? You know, I found them here. Someone gave them to me. Most of them were found, but I would buy them once in a while. Sometimes you go to a garage sale or something and people have hubcaps, you know, for sale. And I'd, I'd buy them that way once in a while. It's so it's just, it's just so fascinating to me because, um, first of all, I just love stories about how people what how people got into what they're doing. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, sure, most people aren't saying, yeah, I want to grow up and sell hubcaps. Yeah. But you're attracted to the hubcap or wheel cover to use the more you know fancy term. Mm -hmm. Um Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, hubcap are hubcaps even around that much anymore? I mean, I'm looking at my. I was looking at my car yesterday, thinking about this upcoming conversation. I don't seem to have any hubcaps. No, they started phasing out in the '90s or 2000s for sure. Okay, and were replaced by solid aluminum wheels. All right, that's what I've got. Yeah, and so is the, is the market for these things. It's it's is it used cars primarily or collectors or, or what what's the market? I mean the market is really for cars that are seven years old and newer. Okay. So and same with aluminum wheels, because I eventually got into that also. Original equipment, aluminum wheels and steel wheels. Oh. But okay. you know, as as the business, you know, moved along into the two thousands. Right. But uh, so Go ahead. Yeah. Well, the thing about cars seven years old and newer is that those cars really aren't in junkyards. So if you lose a hubcap off your car and that hub, first of all, you'd be shocked at what hubcaps cost new at the dealer. I mean, $150 each. Well, a lot of people are like, well, I'm not going to spend that. Well, if you have a car that's a year or two years old, you can't just go to the junkyard and find one. Because cars that new, if they get damaged, they just get repaired and put back on the road. Sure. And so I filled a niche for those newer cars. So rather than spend $150 for a brand new hubcap, you can come to me and spend $35 or $40 for one that's used. How did you, I mean, this is, again, fascinating to me. How did you develop this? vision i mean this understanding do you, i mean do you, do you did you sort of have this i mean did you have the vision hole in your head or it just kind of happened you start collecting and then you get hooked up with this company in altoona and then you kind of think well i could create my own business i mean how did how did that yeah. come about that piece where you where you open up a store you know first it's in a garage your garage i guess your parents garage and then and then yeah. from there you have you have you know two standing stores one in mankato and then ultimately one in the cities yeah it the whole thing happened really by accident but huh. but because of you know because of the demand that i was getting from people to sell hubcaps to them you know i i was able to 
learn that, you know, there actually is a market for these things and they're not cheap if you buy them new. So, so I, I just accidentally learned this, this market and, and then developed it into something bigger and more robust. How, um, and eventually, right, you, I'm, I'm trying to remember what you told me at breakfast. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't your dad eventually <laughs> join you in the Mankato business? Yes. Yeah, he did. <laughs> How did that go? I mean, from, as I would have been if I were a dad, I'm sure like, what? You just, I spent, I spent all, we spent all this money on your college education. You want to do what? Um, how did that go? I mean, was he... There's, was he fun to work with? Good to work with? Helpful? Oh, he was fantastic. I I owe him so much. I mean, it, it was it was a great experience working with him, and and you know, he had my back through all of it. And you know, there there was a transformation, like you're kind of talking about. And when I first told him what I wanted to do, um, you know, like you said, my parents weren't excited about it. <laughs> but at some point I kind of proved myself after a few years that, okay, maybe there is something to this. And then they got on board. And once they got on board, they were behind me a thousand percent. And cool. my father retired as a teacher in 1998 or nine. And it was at that same time that I was looking to expand to the twin cities with a second location. So, so once he retired, he, uh, ran the Mankato location, and then I came up to the Twin Cities and opened the second location in Bloomington. Oh wow! So he was really, really key. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, he was a key but, player. I, yeah, I mean, he kept the Mankato location running and managed the employees there, and um, yeah, he ran that. Yeah, place. I mean, that made it, that made it possible for you to 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 be up here. What mm -hmm. um when did when did when did the connection to Walmart and Sam's Club start? Was that after you opened the Richfield store or before? It was before actually, and they reached out to me. Wow. So um <laughs> yeah, they just called me and said, Yeah, we'd love to buy replacement used hubcaps or wheels from you. And originally it was one store, then two stores, and pretty soon it was the entire Sam's Club. That's incredible. So, yeah. I mean, that must have been obviously your biggest your biggest account, right? By far. Oh, yeah. uh, um, and then, at what point uh, did you decide to sell to Walmart to actually sell the business to to Walmart? Uh, so, in about two thousand four, two thousand five, someplace in there. You know, I had been in business for 12, 13 years, and it got to a point where the the business had gotten, it had gotten to a point where the next step was just to get bigger yet, you know, get more okay. vans out on the road and, you know, get more employees and buy a big building with a big warehouse. And by that time, I had... I just decided that I would rather make a change. You know, I had kind of proven myself to myself, if that makes sense. Right, right. So, yes, it does. You know, so I didn't really need to get bigger and stay with this for any personal reasons. Sure. And yeah, because at that point, it just would have been getting bigger. Okay, I, I, I'm successful at this. Yeah, I got yeah. you. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, and, you know when you're the owner of a company like that and you have multiple locations and I mean, everything escalates up to you and <laughs> multiple headaches. Yeah. Multiple yeah, headaches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, in ways that you, you never dream would be headaches, you know, before you start a company. And I was just ready for different headaches. <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> let's retire <laughs> these headaches and let's take on new headaches. That's a good way to put it. Um, of a different so did you, Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Did you, um, so I mean, I'm just, you know, to the extent that you can disclose details, I mean, how this happened, did you, I mean, how do you sell a business to Walmart? Did, I mean, you already have this connection. Did you just sort of say to them, are you interested in buying me or this business? How did it work? Or, or did they come to you again? Um, I approached 
I approach the buyer. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, um, what would, let's see, the business was called Midwest Wheel Cover, right? At that point? That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then they buy you, they basically buy your business and then are, you, you, don't, you no longer have any connection to it, right? No, no, I'm out of it. Yeah. Okay. So, so I get I, that. I mean, go yeah. ahead. No, just I, I've been out of it, you know, since 2006. Since so. you sold. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I under, I understand. I mean, I can understand. I've not done what you've done, but I can understand how, well, even in teaching, right? If you're teaching the same course over and over again, at some point you either have to stop teaching that course or change it and change mm-hmm. it more than just assigning a new book here and there because it becomes, I mean, you you know, if, if you're doing it well, right? You're, you're doing it well and, you know, okay, but I, I want to do something different. I get that. I can completely understand why you why you were at that point um and so you sell the business and did you did you know what you were going to do next or or did that just sort of happen as well what did you do next yeah, well i had no idea what i was going to do next um i i took a year off and you know got my thoughts put back together kind of like i did in la you know a few years before right. And, you know, I traveled to Europe somewhere in there. But after after a few months of that, you know, I I, I sort of I, I had decided to at that point try corporate America. You know, the the one thing everybody originally wanted me to get into, <laughs> you know, I I was actually ready for it at this point. Okay. And for a you know, a variety of reasons. And it you know, I, I did want to try that whole office setting and, you know, it, I guess personally that, you know, was something I was missing. Where, so where'd you, where'd you wind up, where'd you wind up working? I worked at a company in the Twin Cities that does expense management and supply chain management. Okay. So, so. You um, tell us a little bit about that work. I know you said before we started recording, we could do a whole episode just on supply chain, especially yeah. given how much it's been in the news. But what what, what exactly were you doing uh, in, in that so, setting? So we managed the indirect expenses of our clients. So okay. they're direct expenses and indirect expenses. So if you're a Ford dealership, let's say a direct expense would be the brand new Fords that you're buying from Ford Motor Company. So there's no way that I could come in and negotiate those prices with Ford, but the indirect expenses I can help with. That could be cell phone plans, um, telecommunications, office supplies, vendors, business cards and printed product vendors. It could be the people that cut the grass and you know trim the trees managing those expenses. Okay. So, and then the supply side management, was that, I mean, does is, is that relate to the indirect expenses? How, and if, if it does, how so? Yeah. Well, so and supply chain is really, it, it's the whole process of vendor management, really. It's gathering requirements from clients, uh, looking at their invoices and putting a spreadsheet together to find their spend and their uh, last price paid on different products, then going out to quote with other vendors with the same information, putting a cost analysis together, you know, to optimize supplier base and, um, you know, find, you know, what percentage of savings there could be in this other solution, recommending it to the client, then getting it implemented bringing out the old vendors if there's a vendor change and then coming back and auditing all the bills when they start okay. coming in. So it's this whole process of vendor management, basically. Yeah, it's amazing to me. And, and that, I mean, from the consumer, that's all hidden. I mean, I go to go to the store and buy something mm-hmm. until the, really until the pandemic. I'm, I mean, the, I never even thought about supply chain. What's the supply chain? Never even right. occurred to me, <laughs> really. Um, but all yeah. the stuff that goes into getting well, that goes into any business is amazing to me. And then, you know, even just all the stuff behind 
the products on the shelves if we're thinking about a, a Target or, or or a grocery store um, <clears throat> or maybe a hubcap store. I'm right. just curious. By this point, are you still are you, are you sick of hubcaps? I never want to see another hubcap. Are you still finding yourself? Wow, that's a nice looking hubcap. I'm just curious. No, I I satisfied my my itch for hubcaps. <laughs> I look at them probably the same way you look at them now. You know, okay. so I <laughs> see them, I still see them along the roads from time to time. And I just keep driving. You don't stop. Yeah. All right. No. Oh. So you got that over. You scratched that. I got itch. that over. That yeah. one's checked off the list. No. <laughs> so uh, in a big way. How, so yeah. how long were you doing this uh, in, in the corporate setting? Like a, a few years or? Nine or? years. Nine, oh, nine years. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And then now just, um, but then you get the entrepreneurial itch again, right? I mean, because you started yeah. this new company um, just, I mean, I, g- I gather just just recently, just what, in like 2019, 2020. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the company that you've you started now, the outgrowth of that and what it does, Lighthouse uh, Technology Solutions, it's called. Yes. So Lighthouse is a brokerage of phone and internet providers. So I don't work with any particular phone company. Like I'm not an employee of Comcast, let's say but I can represent and sell Comcast, CenturyLink, Frontier, Spectrum, like a hundred of these around the world, actually. Wow. And, and, you know, it's phones, phone service, internet, and it's the same kind of a, a deal like I had with the supply chain management. I come in and look at phone bills for customers, do a cost analysis again, you know, make a recommendation based on their requirements. And then if they decide to move forward with something, I become the project manager to get it implemented. And then I help them cancel their old accounts and then audit their bills as their bills start coming in. So wow. it's more than just making a sale. It's like this whole chain of okay. events that happens. Well, how did you, I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm so interested. My father was an entrepreneur. He was a hairdresser, worked for a company, but also started his own salons and other entrepreneurial ideas. Um, anyway, how did you, I mean, what led you to realize this is, I want to do this and I can do it. When I was working in supply chain management and working with indirect expenses, I realized that we did not have a solution for telecommunications for our clients. We, you know, there was a a salesperson somewhere that we would give that person phone bills and, you know, they just send back like a two line analysis saying, yeah, I could save you 25% with nothing in between to explain Mm. how that would happen. I, I just said, I can't go to a client and, you know, stand in a conference room and explain this if there's nothing there to, explain it. And if he couldn't make the sale, we just put it out of scope. So I spearheaded an initiative to develop telecommunications as a viable indirect expense for this company I was with. And then I helped pioneer that category as well. And what that led to ultimately is I became the person at the company that would go through everybody's phone bills, line item by line item, put everything into a spreadsheet and then go out and find solutions for cost savings and vendor optimization. And then it was it became my responsibility to get these solutions installed, cancel the old bills, audit the new bills coming in. So I had that experience on a national level too. Right. You know, I did this okay. for multi-location uh, uh, customers um, all over the U.S. and Canada. So okay. by being, you know, the person digging in and 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 really diving deep into phone bills and solutions, you know, I gained that knowledge. And at some point, I'm I like, love oh, this. Why don't this I just do this for myself and be the salesman also? 
It's just awesome, man. Diving deep into phone bills sounds like, oh, my God. But, yeah, out of that comes this business, uh, quite successful yeah. business. Right. That's so cool. <laughs> so, uh, so are you working Are you working with um, – I mean, like, are you working with Fortune 500 companies too or is it more, more low, I mean, sort of mid-level companies or all, all of the above? Right now, more mid-level. Yeah, small to mid-level right now. But, right. you know, I am working – to get into some bigger companies. And I have worked with fortune 500 companies in the past, okay. my previous. And so one. what do you do? I mean, are you, are you the company right now or do you have other people working with you? I have some 1099s uh, that work with me. Okay. And so I imagine you go to a company and, and make a pitch, right? Is that how it works? Or do they mm -hmm. come to you? You go to a company. Yeah. Uh, it's both. Both. Okay. Yeah. Well, all of this leads me to, I mean, you know, this is, it's a broad question. And, um, but I, it's a question I love asking people like you who are entrepreneurs and who are in business and successful. I mean, what, what does it take? I mean, what do you think it takes? You have, I mean, I, I don't think I would say, you know, gee, I'm going to, I'm going to, even after I've, let's say, sold my business to Sam's Club, I'm going to now just, figure out what I want to do for a year or so. I don't know, it takes something, some confidence or, or I don't know what it takes. What are yeah. the, what are the ingredients? What does it, what does it take to be an entrepreneur? Um, when you think about it, I mean, what, 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 what are the qualities that make for uh, successful entrepreneurship and is our setbacks and failures and the ability to cope with them part of that? Yeah. I, you know, I, I believe it does take confidence. I never thought about that before, but it, it does take a level of confidence and you really, to be an entrepreneur, you really have to stick to your, your plan because there's so many distractions. There's so many people telling you that you're doing the wrong thing usually. And, um, you just have to stick to it and, you know, not pay any attention to, to the, shall we say, the haters, for lack of a better term. <laughs> well, yeah, and I like that point about just, yeah, I can imagine lots of distractions in, in, the, in the, some of them in the form of people saying you're not doing it right or do this or do that. So that's, yeah, so focus, persistence, confidence. And you've had, I mean, aside from your parents, you've had some other mentors along the way, right? In the, in the business world, talk a little bit about that. I mean, cause there's this idea, right? That, you know, self -made, Jeff, you're a self-made man. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not that simple, right? You've had, you've had help and mentorship uh, along the way. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Well, Greg, I, first of all, I always consider you to be a mentor of mine. Thank you. Oh, that's very kind. Very kind of you. Yeah. But in the business world, I mean, since I would there, have steered you, God knows where. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, one mentor who really sticks out in my mind was a man named Milt Tarati. And this was when I was in Mankato in the 90s. Okay. He was part of the Mankato score at the time. But he, gosh, his background was just amazing. And, and he would come in to my store down there and and just give me, I, I, again, I had confidence, but he would give me more confidence, if that makes sense. Mm. Yes, it and does. We would look at different scenarios and situations happening with the business or just, you know, the world in general. And, and he had such a, uh, just a, a no nonsense approach and very, very logical approach to every situation. Was he, he, he was, was a businessman himself or, or? Yeah. Uh, well, he was a retired businessman. Okay. And, and he was working in Mankato through score and another organization paid by the County to mentor, um, business people, I guess, small businesses. And sure. But, but I had, I had dealt with other people like him, in you know, in the Twin Cities and and different places, and a lot of them were just kind of haphazard with their jobs. But Milt was one that stuck to it and was just as passionate about my business as I was. That's so, fantastic. So he was really, 
I mean, you may not have taken, you didn't take business courses or recon courses, but you took, I mean, he was your, a huge part of your business education, it sounds like to me. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, the learning, but also that adding, I like what, how you said it, giving you even more confidence. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's important. It's, it's nice of you to recognize, not just nice, I mean, it's honest of you and, 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 and um, to recognize that and to recognize him. Is he still around? Is he still doing that work? I want to look him up. I, I don't know, but I, I think about him often and, and I need to make a run down to Mankato and, or I guess I could call, but I, I need to find out if he's around because if nothing else, I want to thank him. Yeah, I can understand that because, again, I mean, you know, we we you know, self-made. Well, even you know, Bill, no, no one is really self-made. You rely on people, you rely on infrastructure um, to to do it. It takes the entrepreneurial energy and the vision and the confidence, and you know, as you're saying, staying focused. But no one does it in a vacuum. So, yeah. uh, again, I just think I think your story is so cool, so interesting, and I wish you great luck with the. Um, the current gig lighthouse. The um, as we wind down here, I wonder first, what you, are you still you're still doing your music? Are you still songwriting? I am. Yes. And are you and are you record? Have you recorded or made some CDs or or whatever? <laughs> I guess wouldn't be records. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So actually, there are two parts to that. So yes, I'm writing original music and and making CDs still. Uh, I'm also using music to um to enhance lighthouse technology solutions oh, that's as well. interesting so, tell us about that how are you doing that yeah. yeah so so when customers buy phone systems from me i offer to them to write their on hold music also or <laughs> that's great <laughs> yeah so i have another division of lighthouse now where i'm re recording music and writing scripts for their business and that's then recording great. all that together so when they put their customers on hold, it's it's really my music in the background and my voice over and my oh, script wow. talking about, you know, thanks for holding. Let me tell you a little bit about our company. You know, we've been around since whatever. And so oh, that's so great. That's yeah, neat. So, wow. so I'm using it to help my current business, too. I love it. All right. So from, from playing your guitar and whatever, staring at waves, trying to figure things out and on the beach in Santa Monica to this. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. cool. That's just awesome. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Wow. I mean, that's, that's cool. Um, the music, you sent me some music too. I remember after breakfast, which was great. Some of your songs, oh, yeah. really, really cool. The, um, the, the final question I have for you is, is just, to, it's really to circle back to Gustavus. And I wonder, especially because you were a history major and poli-sci minor, and people might think, what the hell does that have to do with what you're doing now? But if you think back, I mean, are there are there ways in which, I mean, I know there are, but I, I guess I'm asking you to talk about the ways in which your Gustavus education, your Gustavus experience is informing what you do and how you've oh. done it. Well, absolutely. Gustavus gave me the ability to reason. Oh, wow. That's and, nice. And it's amazing, you know, having that, ab that ability to reason, it's kind of amazing how many people can't. You know? Yes. And you, know, you notice it and it, it's really, and history for sure, um, gave me the ability to think things through. So when a situation happens, you know, I now look at everything in a historical lens. Well, you know, what happened to get us to this? And based on what happened and where we are now, what can we choose to do going forward from here? And wow. just that thought process is huge. And I would, honestly, I don't think I would have ever had that without my Gus Davis degree. And, and certainly without taking history classes, your classes in particular. Because well, that's you. where it all developed. Thank so, you, thank you. Yeah. I love that. I um, I I think you've you've given us the title of this episode. Gustavus gave me the ability. Gustavus gave me the ability to reason. I mean, that's wow. That's that's <laughs> that's awesome. I yeah. mean, I think if an education does that for someone, then that's a, that's a successful education. Because you're right. I mean, in life, we encounter so many people who aren't able to do that. 
Yeah. Um, and what you just described about, you know, kind of working through a problem. I mean, how did we get here? That Yeah, that's thinking historically, right? Yeah. Connecting and you need to do to that in order to figure out what to do going forward. And exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you're going to be going forward. I'm sure Lighthouse um, will not only be a success, but probably not the last thing you do either. Right. Um, I, I, I honestly now, when I see hubcaps, I guess even when I see any wheel, I think of you. Um, it's funny what <laughs> what associations one develops in life. But honestly, yeah, I never gave much thought to to hubcaps at all until um, <laughs> really you until, met me. Yeah. well, yeah, until we met at breakfast, and I because I just don't remember if I was aware of this part of your life which was there when you were uh, an undergraduate. But Jeff, I know we're going to get together for lunch. Uh, so to yes. be continued later this week, Friday in person. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, yes. It's just a blast. This podcast is so much fun for me to reconnect yeah. with um, alums I know, but also alums I, I don't know. Um, and so uh, best of luck with Lighthouse. Thank and you. Uh, I will see you on Friday. And take good great. care. Thanks, right. Craig. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Yeah. Bye-bye. See you. Yeah. Bye. Learning for Life at Gustavus is produced by J.J. Aiken and Matthew Dobosensky of the Gustavus Office of Marketing. Gustavus graduate Will Clark, class of 20, who also provides technical expertise to the podcast, and me. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Gustavus Adolphus College. <laughs>